Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading this morning is taken from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, that is page 1,796. I'm sure Stephen will be referring to that. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please be seated. God is good. All the time. It's good to see you. I noticed a lot of visitors uh, as I saw people coming through. We're glad to have you. Welcome. Hope you feel welcomed and and, uh, wanted. Charlotte, you are looking young and vibrant and so full of energy. And Gary, when you said what you said, Stephanie looked at me and said, that's something you'd have said. I was like, I've never said anything near controversial before. Y'all did, that that wasn't a joke. You weren't supposed to laugh at that. Before we look in our Bibles to this passage in Ephesians 2, I want to pray, so would you please join me? Our Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer in in Jesus' name. We pray to you, our Father, remembering that you restored hearing to the deaf that you restored sight to the blind, that you raised the dead. We know there is nothing limitless about you, Father. And we take hope in the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior, knowing that that hope of eternal life with you in the heavens stands for us. Thank you for this gift of your grace and for saving us. Father, for some of our brethren and your servants, we pray to you on their behalf. Pray for Randy Young, Father, who will have a biopsy this week. Pray that you will give 
him and Zeta and Athena a safe trip back to and back from Nashville. We pray, Father, that you look kindly upon your servant and those who were charged with his care. We pray for positive outcomes. We pray, Father, that all will be well. Remember also Miss Charlotte Cook, pray that her surgery goes well. Olivia Dublin, we pray that you'll bless those caring for her. We continue to remember before you in prayer the brethren who are in the process of healing, Sue Heiss and Louise Haley and Jamie Williams. We remember also those, Father, who have upcoming tests. Pray for Melissa Stark and others who will be facing testing and even treatment. Our Father, be with each of them. I pray, Lord, that you will give them that peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray also, Almighty God, that you would give that not only to them but to their loved ones. I pray, Father, that you would bless them in each of their circumstances. And we pray, Father, for healing here in the flesh, if it be your will. Gracious Father, we conclude our prayer knowing that we are sinners and your grace is so great that you have saved us despite the fact that we were dead in our trespasses. You made us alive together with Christ. And we thank you. But Lord, hear our prayer. Answer our prayer. May your will be done on earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A year ago, uh, not this last December, but a year ago in December, I wrote an essay that I submitted to uh, a journal uh, to have published. Well, they sat on it for a whole year, and I just got it back the first week of this year, and they said, this is good history, good information, we want to include it, but there are some adjustments you need to make. You know, one of those adjustments, he said, in the, the opening pages, you have some material that may be common knowledge, but we need you to cite some sources for it. Anybody's ever written an academic paper for a professor, whatever, right? Cite your sources, that kind of thing. So I went back, and yes, it was common knowledge, so I got out all my books, and I'm having to put all these citations in, essentially because the reviewers wanted me to prove it. Nothing wrong with that at all. I think if there's something worth saying, and it's something that should be considered, it ought to be proven. I think so many people today, rather than looking at facts, they pay more attention to emotion. Emotion drives headlines and news cycles. Earlier this week, or maybe last week, there was this picture, and I read the headline, and it said, climate activist Greta Thunberg arrested for whatever, protesting at some site in, uh, in Germany. But then later in the week, I'm seeing videos and other headlines that show that the whole thing was staged. How disappointing that is. You know, what, what news can you trust anymore? Then there was this commercial years ago. I don't remember. It was a State Farm commercial. So this lady came out of her house and her neighbor was there. And, uh, you know, she said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm on my State Farm app doing thus and such, thus and such. She said, I didn't think State Farm did that. He said, why do you think that? She said, because I read it on the Internet. And, you know, they don't put anything on the Internet that isn't true. And then he said, what are you doing? I'm waiting on a blind date. And this fellow rolls up. She says, he's a French model. I met him on the internet. This big old dude walks up and he goes, bonjour. You know, it was, a, I guess you have to, to have seen it to know. Well, 
So Paul gets to a point here in Ephesians 2 where up until this point he has explained how Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord over all. And so what he does next in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2 is he's going to prove it. Not just say it and say you ought to believe it, but he's going to say here's how it is. This is the truth of the matter. So if your Bible's open, I want you to notice a couple of things. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And look at verse 2. In which you also walked according to the course of this world. So there's one walk. And when you look at chapter 2, verse 10, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's almost as if he's creating brackets for us to look at here. And he's going to say, this is where you were walking now as a believer in Jesus, as a Christian, this is how you walk. And so he illustrates this by several ways. First of all, uh, in verses one through three, he points out, you know, you were the walking dead, literally. Your heart may be beating, you may be breathing in air, but because you didn't have Jesus, you're walking dead. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you also walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." This is a depiction of a dire situation that every human faces. It, it reminds us sort of of the story of David and Goliath, very famous story if you've been in church any amount of time. The dire nature of the battle is illustrated in the fact that the Philistines and the Israelites are standing opposite one another, and the suggestion has been made, let's take the best warrior from each camp and let them fight, and that will decide the war. If the Israelites win, then the Philistines will bow down and serve them. But if the Philistines win, then the Israelites will bow down and serve them. So the Philistines put out their champion, a man who is described with great description. He stands nine feet, nine inches tall. The weight of his armor is 122 pounds, not to mention that he was a warrior well-versed in combat. He embodied the Philistines' army's strength and power, and that posed a threat to Israel. And for 40 days, he taunts them and taunts them and taunts them. If Israel would ever put a champion forward, we could fight and this thing would be over. But the scene closes with utter hopelessness. In 1 Samuel 17, 11, the men were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so in that story, you have the portrayal of the utter hopelessness of God's people. But I want you to notice here, it is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Later in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 27, chapter 6, 11, Paul points out that this is Satan. This is the enemy, the adversary, the devil. But you have that spirit. But when you look at chapter 1, verse 13... In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
So you have this enemy spirit of Satan, and he is set juxtaposed to the Holy Spirit. Which will you choose? Jesus, however, is higher than Satan, the Holy Spirit working in the life of the Christian toward righteousness, unlike that evil spirit that works to disobedience. And I want you to notice also how you have the sons of disobedience and children of wrath, but when Paul begins his letter in chapter 1, verse 5, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. So you have children of wrath, sons of disobedience, and then you have those who have been made sons of God. Whose child do you want to be? Which spirit is it that you will follow? And so you look at the dire, helpless situation of humanity, and here's where the good news comes in. The first two words of verse 4, but God. I asked Derek to lead that song, He is Mighty to Save, before uh, our lesson this morning mainly because it's a reminder that when you look at all hope being lost in any circumstance, God is mighty to save. When everything everything seems to be mounted against you, God is mighty to save. When you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, God is mighty to save. God is mighty to save. Say that this week. You face any circumstance too hard, God is mighty to save. Because He is, and we know very well that He is. Verses 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in His mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I thought that was very interesting the way he depicts it. Um, Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you have that set opposite the great love of God. And a lot of times people want to talk a whole lot about the wrath of God, and that is very present in Scripture. But usually those people who want to talk about God's great wrath don't want to talk about how great His love is. But just notice what Paul says. God who is rich in His mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. What if we loved like God loved? How great do you think the world would be? I mean, I don't know anybody who time and time again, over and over again, is affronted by another that doesn't just give up on that person. But we, dead in our trespasses, God's love is so great. It's almost like a parent who has a a kid that's just making bad choices, bad decisions. They're going down a path you don't want them to go down. They're doing things that you say, well, I brought them up better than that. But they persist in that. But a parent never stops loving. A parent never wants to give up hope. Because a parent loves and will do anything in order to help that child, whatever the circumstances. I like what one commentator said on that point where it says, we are made to sit in the heavenly places with God. One commentator said, Paul is speaking of what is to come as though it had already been done. 
One who understands the resurrection and the kingdom of Christ spiritually doesn't scruple to say that the saints already sit and reign with Christ. Just as a person may become truly holy in the flesh when he lives in the flesh and has his conversation in heaven, or conversion in heaven, excuse me. When he walks on earth and ceasing to be flesh is wholly converted into the Spirit. So he is seated in heaven with Christ, for indeed the kingdom of God is within us. But God. You, if you're like me and you like to mark in your Bible, underline but God. It's a great way to look at this dire circumstance and here all hope is lost, but God. He gives hope. He gives salvation. He gives us that chance that we think is totally gone and non-existent. And what God does is He renews us. Verses 7 through 10. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've talked to several people over the years, and we sit down and talk about the good news of Jesus, and there have been a few along the way that have said, you know what, let me, I've got some things in my life that I need to, I need to do to get this right, order this out, fix this, or whatever. And when I'm ready, then I'll come. Uh, that's not how Paul puts it. We don't do the good works before. The good works are the result of us being Christians. It's as the hymn that we sing, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. You cannot fix yourself up enough and then come to God. You go to God and you let Him fix you up. That's how it works. And that's what Paul is pointing out. Nothing that we do beforehand avails to anything. Because this grace, this salvation is a gift. Obviously, that gift is accessed through faith. And let me elaborate in saying faith is not just what you think and believe. That is a part of faith as they would have defined it then. It's what you think and believe, but that also leads you to action, if action is ever required. So if you have faith and you believe this good news, what is it that God says to do? Well, have faith. Okay, how do I have faith? Well, you demonstrate your full and utter trust in the Lord. You do that through confession. You do that through repentance. You do that through baptism. You do that afterwards through good works. Those are the demonstrations. God demonstrates to the evil powers just how great His power and grace are. And he wants to prove the point to us as well that he is more mightier than anything set opposed us. Drawing from verse 5, it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. God initiates the process and we participate in it by wholly trusting him with our minds and our actions. It's a gift given and it's not something that's earned, but notice the end result. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. The Greek word is poema. We get our English word poem from that. It's not poem like you think, right? We think of a poem, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, 
so are you. I don't know how it goes. Uh, there's probably 75 versions of that particular little poem, just like there's 75 verses of Amazing Grace, aren't there, Derek? And, and uh, what's that? Just as I am, there's about 37 verses. We only sing about three of them because that's scriptural. So, poema, it means masterpiece, finished work. So don't think poem like, you know, roses are red, violets are blue. Think the New King James says workmanship. I like masterpiece because a masterpiece is you've put work into it. You step back and you look at it. It's done. It's done. When we become Christians, we are His masterpiece. Notice that we are created in Jesus Christ for good works. So we have this new creation, and it's a moral and a spiritual renewal And the result of being renewed in Christ is that we do good works. So I go all the way back to David and Goliath. David said that it wasn't him that had been affronted or insulted. It was God. And afterwards, after he kills Goliath, if you notice there are similarities in 1 Samuel, Goliath falls flat on his face, prostrate, we would say. And it alludes to an earlier episode in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, where the idol Dagon, before the Ark of the Covenant, they walked in and he was prostrate. And they said, who did this? You know, because they believed Dagon was this mighty God. So there you have two heathens, an idol on the one and a heathen on the other, made to prostrate before God. And David says in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47, that it wasn't him, but rather it was the power of God that was on display. He didn't noth- David did nothing but allow God to work through him. And so he never made any boast of what he did. And similarly, we shouldn't boast about the good that we do because God is working through us because we have humbly submitted to his rule. So here are my takeaways. Maybe you got this too. First of all, God is mighty to save. Secondly, God saves the undeserving. You say, well, I'm not good enough. Guess what? None of us are. Well, I don't think God could ever forgive me. Never underestimate the love that He has and the power that He can demonstrate. You don't know all that I've ever done. I don't have to know all that you've ever done. But I know that you can come to the Lord and the slate is wiped clean. We choose how to walk either dead in our trespasses or walk in the good works, having been made the masterpiece of God. We can choose to demonstrate the works either of the Holy Spirit or the spirit of Satan that is working in the sons of disobedience. We can choose also whose children to be. Will we be sons of God or sons of wrath? If we've never obeyed the Gospel, then we walk as dead in trespasses. We're under the sway of the spirit of the enemy. We are children of wrath. So which walk will you choose? Which spirit will you allow to work on and in you? And whose child do you wish more to be? Paul says, here's the proof. I told you that Jesus is exercising His cosmic lordship over the heavens and the earth. And in the pitiful, hopeless state that you were once in, but God worked 
and you look and you say it's hopeless, God says, I offer you hope. I offer you a fresh start. I offer you salvation. That is what He has offered to us all. Many have answered that call with faith and obedience. And it's that call of faith and obedience that we offer to you this morning, as we do every morning. God is mighty to save. You think you're bad? You think you're so far gone? You have no idea just how powerful God is and what He can do. Get out of your own way and let God take over and you will see. If you wish to do so this morning, you can come to the front and make your response. We'll be glad to minister to you, to pray with you, whatever you require. Just come as we stand and as we sing.